Hamilton, Ohio, is a cozy Midwestern town with a spectacularly spooky supernatural side. Poltergeists play while ghosts glide down Dayton Lane as we talk with our guest tonight, author Shai O'Neill of Haunted Hamilton, Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Presents the Hometown Haunts Podcast. I am your host, Kat Logo, and tonight with me in the shadows, as always, is Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. We'll have them out a little bit later. You can follow us on social media at SinCabinetCurio on Twitter, at CincyCabinetOfCuriosities on Instagram, and we love to hear your hometown haunts. So please send them and share them to our hometown haunted mail at gmail.com. I'm waiting. I'm dying to hear them. Also, you can join our Facebook group at hometown haunts. And that's a nice gathering place for everyone who is a member of our group to talk about and who listen to this podcast to share their own fun news and also hometown haunts and we also put out calls for hey we would like to hear ghost stories about xyz or following last week's episode we love to hear what your hometown food is mine is dingus day sausages so surprise cat's not from here uh also we're an official podcast that can be heard on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and SoundCloud. You can find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please rate and review us so other spooky and weird history lovers just like you can find us. Of course, links are in the show notes. Christina would like me to remind you that our Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities issue two, Trail Trains and Terror, our Kickstarter is closed, but we are completely funded. However, if you missed the Kickstarter and would still love to have a copy, you can pre-order your copies from our website. And of course, the link to that is in our show notes. Also, this is our final episode of season two. Uh, We are taking a holiday break and we will be back in January and hopefully we'll have the possible topics for issue three of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities comics anthology. It's all very exciting and we hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. And uh, now on to the rest of our show. So our guest tonight is Shay O'Neill, who is a retired teacher and an avid reader who loves to immerse herself in a good story. She lives in a close-knit historic neighborhood in a small Ohio town that serves as her inspiration. Her first work, a novel, was based on her experiences in the historic district where she has lived for a quarter of a century. She serves on multiple historic boards, which augments her love of history. She has raised two beautiful children and has lived with her loving husband for the last 25 years in a 19th century three-story mansion. Although Shai has been writing for many years just for the love of it, she is now publishing her work and we're talking about that tonight. It is Haunted Hamilton, Ohio, part of the Haunted America book series. So without further ado, I will add Shai. Hi. Hi! Welcome to the show here. There thank we you. go. Thanks. <laughs> yes, thank you. We got to meet a few weeks ago, months ago now, at the Benninghofen House that is also the Butler County Historical Society. And it was wonderful. It was. One of my yeah. favorite places. 
Yeah, it, it's, I'd never been there before. It was all new to me and I love it. I recognized a lot of the antiques from stuff my family had. So it was fun going through. <laughs> now, did you ghost hunt that night or were you just there um, rubbing elbows with the director? Um, I didn't that night because um, we had the world's largest ghost hunt that night and I was going from one spot to another mm -hmm. and that was the second place on my itinerary but I did go back for um, when was that it was on the 30th of October for oh, yeah. that was really did anything sad. happen well um, not that I could prove, but, uh, the, um, equipment showed that something was going on mm -hmm. and they had it, um, set up for a funeral oh, yeah. and some things happened earlier in the day, uh, when we weren't having the ghost hunt that mm -hmm. they pointed out to us and, um, very interesting. So was Wilhelmina around? Wilhelmina was there. She's always there. She, <laughs> she was. We didn't uh, call on her actually, but she made her, her presence known. Yeah. And uh, her image showed up on, is it the SLS camera? You yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, the SLS camera. She she didn't show up for the SLS when we were there. Christine and I went also for the largest ghost hunt. I believe that was September 26th of this year. And uh, we had a small boy that was showing up at the uh, bottom of the staircase. and But we didn't see her. Though when Christine and I were doing a dowsing rod session in the front parlor, mm -hmm. Wilhelmina was very much there. And as was the little haunted baby doll. Yes. So that yes. was that was fascinating just that that artifact being so haunted. Caroline. Caroline. Is what they called her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they had the <laughs> casket. Yes, the casket, the woven casket that was made specifically for this display, which oh, I was like, yeah. man, that's special. So, yeah. And uh, I am actually interested in how did you write for oh i'm sorry which publishing i'm sorry publishing house this is haunted america um right. history press yeah. yeah how did you get the book i'm always interested as a fellow author how people got their uh proposals in well um i didn't seek them out mm -hmm. i wrote millionaire's row and published it about three years ago yeah. And it's about my house. Oh. Um, I remember you had it for sale. Yes. Uh, and so um, I wrote Millionaire's Row. It took me about eight years. And I published it finally about three years ago. And um, the gentleman from Haunted Press. Mm hmm um, read the information about the ghost walk on our website on mm -hmm. the Dayton Lane Historic Society website and contacted 
um, one of the board members to see if there was someone that would be willing to write the book. So he contacted me, um, really, I think, because I'd already published one about the district to see if I would be interested in writing one for um, History Press. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say yes right away. I really had to think about it um, because I write for the love of writing. Mm-hmm. And I have to really go to that place. I kind of zone if I'm really interested in a topic. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of takes over. And then this, I become part of the story and then I put it on paper and that's the kind of writer I am. And there were very specifics for writing a book for them. I just mm-hmm. wasn't sure that I was ready to write a nonfiction on a subject that I can't prove. Yes, that is very tricky. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fine line you're balancing the entire time because you're talking like, you're doing all the so i'm an anthropologist by training so when i'm writing my books they're like anthropology deep dives into all the history and then i talk to people who have encountered the ghosts so Mm -hmm. i'm walking this line of history you're researching it and you're finding all the facts and then you worked with victor peruda and um um, yeah and i got the name right correct victor that's right victor Yeah. And um, yeah, when you're working with psychic mediums, you're listening to their experience with the dead and you're just sitting there going, okay, yeah. But when it corresponds with history, that's when things start to sparkle a bit and you're writing that in a book. Yeah. And that's the approach I took. Mm -hmm. I tried to be objective. Um, I don't have any hard proof. I have, personal experiences that changed my perspective on the subject. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't have any hard evidence that I'd be willing to put in a nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. So I um, also interviewed and had the stories from a variety of people and researched the history that could possibly validate Um, Mm -hmm. the authenticity of that Mm -hmm. and that's the approach that I took for the book Mm -hmm. I will say say at the Benninghofen house I there's so many things going on there (laughs) and uh, and a lot of spirits there that it's kind of hard to believe it's it's a lot because when with your paranormal investigator, you're expecting like maybe one, perhaps two, but having an entire house full is just quite remarkable. And they're also chatty. Right. And, and what convinced me that um, it was an authentic experience is Kathy Crichton allowed me to ask the questions with the dowsing rods. Mm-hmm. And I know I didn't move those rods. Yeah. But they did move. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's kind of hard to deny that something was going on. Yeah. It's, it always is the personal experience that changes minds. And I love Kathy because it's, I'm going to be 
blunt. It's pretty rare to find somebody who runs historical society who is this into ghosts and the paranormal. Yeah. It's refreshing. I love it because it's a great way of connecting to the community and it always piques people's interest and it's keeping history alive in kind well, of an undead way. Uh, that's true. It, it brings in people who probably wouldn't normally visit um, the museum or her activities and it's very educational mm -hmm. and they're going there, for, you know, to see a ghost and they're actually learning quite a bit about the history of our town. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I, I want to talk more about Benninghofen, but first I want to get, you mentioned a few paranormal experiences you had back that include a wine glass and a Ouija board. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Would you be interested in sharing that story with our listeners? Sure. Um, this was my first encounter, really, um, with anything paranormal. And uh, there were, were six of us, and we were going, we had planned to go see The Exorcist at um, a local theater. And it was just before Christmas. And mm -hmm. it was a Christmas that the weather was really warm. We had thunderstorms. And um, so unfortunately we got to the theater and the power was out in that whole Tri-County area. Oh man. Which included the theater. So we went back to um, my apartment, the six of us, and we decided to go to the midnight show then. It was the opening night for The Exorcist. And while Ooh. we waited just to get in the mood, we created our own Ouija board on the dining room table by um, putting the letters, numbers, yes and no on um, sticky notes and putting them around this large dining room table and overturned a wine glass and that that was our blanket and we put our fingers on the wine glass very lightly asked questions and um it didn't really move very much and there were six of us with fingers on the wine glass and it was my turn we went around the table my turn to ask a question i was a little embarrassed um because I didn't really believe in what we were doing at the time. I was in my early twenties and well, you know, when the exorcist came out and um, yeah. so I just silently asked my question and which was, I'm going to say spirit guide is my spirit guide here with me, but I didn't know that term mm -hmm. uh, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it started to move very quickly and it was a large dining room table and it made a huge circle around the large dining room table. Everyone's fingers fell away because it moved abruptly and quickly and um, except mine and it uh, circled the table and went to yes. And I know I didn't move that wine glass. Ooh. It moved on its own. It moved around the table on its own. So um, that kind of convinced me that 
you know, there's something going on that I don't completely understand. Mm -hmm. And then uh, moving into this neighborhood 20, 26 years now uh, ago, things happened here that can't be denied. Mm -hmm. It caused me to write that first novel. Mm -hmm. Just, I just wanted to document it. I just wanted to put it down on paper so that it, I would never forget it. And it was always there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we even, my husband and I even started going to um, a spiritualist church to try and get an understanding of what we were dealing with. Wow. So the, what's happening in your house must be frequent enough to cause you to go seek out explanations. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Wow. And, and in the neighborhood, not just mm -hmm. our house. So as you can tell, if you read the book, it's not just our house, but I'm most familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, I do wonder if it, kind of like you know how everyone i know my neighborhood i live here in cincinnati we all the neighbors all talk to each other like right. just recently we have a very fat male possum that has been just terrorizing all the dogs on our street and we sit and talk about it do the neighbors say oh by the way this happened in my house and i think it was a ghost like do they talk about it openly or does it depend on the family um initially the neighbors have changed completely over the years. I mean, we've probably been here the longest except for Tom and I, and um, younger people have moved in. And so um, initially though, the way this came out, and I talk about it in the novel, uh, I used it. We were sitting around a fire pit a lot of, this is quite a community. It's not mm -hmm. just a neighborhood. And mm -hmm. um, we were sitting around a fire pit and after the May promenade and people were talking about things that happened at their house. That year, our house was on the promenade and several people came through our house that told me about the lady on the stairs. Mm -hmm. And I said, come on, certainly not. Um, well, she, among others, presented uh, herself. I have never seen her. My husband has seen her. Oh, um, have your kids seen her? No, not her. Okay. We have, but we have others. Um, okay. And uh, actually a group that went through the ghost walk early on saw her on the steps during the ghost walk. Wow. So, I mean, a lot of people have seen her. Um, I haven't. I have heard crying, though, in the hallway right outside this office. And then when I step into the parlor, it's more like sobbing. It's not a loud cry. Mm -hmm. um, step into the parlor, it stops. Mm -hmm. But it's in the hallway. So, um, and I don't know. I don't know if that's her or not. Mm -hmm. um, and she's one of many. And and so it was that year at the promenade that all these people came through. This Our house used to be a church. Mm -hmm. 
and women who came to church here mentioned the lady on the stairs to me when they came in. Oh, wow. A woman who still lives in the neighborhood that was a cook in this house first told me about the lady on the stairs. And it also used to be an office building. And someone that worked in the office building told me about the lady on the stairs. So there was a lot of independent um, verification of that. Mm -hmm. And that piqued my interest. And so I started researching the house. Mm-hmm. Now, what, so you've talked about the lady on the stairs. What is she said to look like? Like, who do people think she is? Well, that's what my whole first novel is about. We don't know <laughs> who she is. Mm-hmm. I have, there are some possibilities. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's one of the Campbell girls. Okay. Um, one of the sisters committed suicide, not in this house, but um, one committed suicide. Another had a very difficult time with Aaron who lived here and mm-hmm. her father who was very close to Aaron. Um, so it could have been Lelia. It could have been Fanny. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. But, uh, you know, a lot of people have come through this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, For our listeners, what is a little bit of the history of the house you're in right now? Well, it was built in the 1880s um, by George Tangman, Mm -hmm. who was a local industrialist. He had a rag company. Mm -hmm. And for his fiancée, Cora Hoagland, she Mm -hmm. was the heiress to Royal Baking Powder. I don't know if you remember. It, It used to be a huge company. Um, Mm -hmm. and they moved Royal Baking Powder to Oyster Bay, New York. And so they sold the house to William H.H. Campbell, I I think around um, 1885 or so. And uh, William H.H. Campbell was the, one of the richest men in Butler County and um, he bought this house for his son, Aaron. He bought the house across the street for his daughter, Mary. Mm-hmm. Bought the house on the corner, that large, beautiful Disney mansion um, <laughs> for Fanny, who never mm-hmm. lived in the house. She rented it out. Okay. Uh, she's the one that committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so each of, he bought a home for each of his children. Wow. Then after, um, in our house, after Aaron lost it in a lawsuit to his nephew, mm-hmm. and two of his sisters sued him, um, it was owned by a variety of different people. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you want to go into the history. Yeah, it's just, it went through a lot of transition, basically. It seems to have gone in and out of being a um, family home to, as you said, commercial. Was it ever a multifamily home? I know a lot of those homes did become apartments. Well, um, Ben Strauss, who was um, 
an entrepreneur. He had a clothing company in downtown Hamilton in the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Lived in the house. So three, three branches of his family lived in the house, one on each floor. Okay. And so it, it was all the same family, but... They all had their own spaces, basically. Different couples. Right. Okay. And um, then there's also an addition. Yeah. It did I, turn into a church. It turned into the Pilgrim Holiness Church. Mm-hmm. And the Chapel of Love after that. And Children's Diagnostic Center after that. Okay. So when we bought it, a lot of the first floor had been stripped of woodwork and stained glass. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So it has a long history. It does. And it also has the the addition, the roof has been altered. Right. And that was um, around 1915. Yeah. It makes it way more whimsical than the Italianette it was. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Now, that's really interesting, though. So you have a lot of people who have lived and had significant events occur there, basically. And so we have a lady on the staircase. What other ghosts are calling that place home? Um, There's a man on the second floor. There's no Mm -hmm. one, by the way, on the third floor. Okay. That kind of tells me that after 1915, there's probably no one living here Mm-hmm. from those families or okay. during that time. Um, but there's a man on the second floor. Again, my husband has seen him. Um, my daughter, that used to be her bedroom where he stays. Mm. Um, my children won't go up, upstairs at all anymore. Um, I can identify with that. And <laughs> uh, so... I, I don't know if the sightings on the second floor are all the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there is the man in the back room and my husband saw a military person. Our kitchen is upstairs standing mm-hmm. next to the, cause he had a military tricorder hat on standing next to the refrigerator, a construction worker uh, who was, restoring a bathroom on the second floor had someone come up behind him. Um, And frequently I have seen and heard a man that I thought was my husband and, but he wasn't here. Oh, so um, calling my name. Oh, wow. Uh, going down the hallway while I'm in the second floor bathroom, someone walking down the hallway out of the, I could see him out of the corner of my eye. Mm-hmm. It's like a shadow passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's the same guy that's in the back bedroom or mm-hmm. and I am clueless who, who it is. Huh. That's so. interesting. Yeah. Your, your poor daughter for, being in a room and putting up with it being haunted for as long as she lived in it. 
she first told me that there's a man in her bedroom, a -hmm. scary man in her bedroom um, when she lived here with me. Was he like a tall, shadowy kind of guy that looms? She didn't say that. She just said there's a scary man who talks to me in the bedroom. Ah, man. She was afraid to go in there. Yeah. And she's in her 30s now, and she still won't go upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a haunted house, too. So that's why I understand exactly that kind of intense. You feel like you're being stared at the entire time when you're in your room where you should be comfortable. You feel like you could be yourself. And instead, there's something watching you or talking to you. And you're just like, no, you're not supposed to be in my space. I have to say at the time, I thought it was her imagination. And Mm. until it happened to me, um, now I feel bad about it. I mean, I didn't believe her at the time. Well, you you believe what you experience in right. life. Until you experience it yourself, you can't really understand. Yeah. Well, at least you believe her now, so you can share well, that's that. That's true. Yeah. So have you ever had anyone, a, a medium or anybody, investigate your house? Someone came through once a long time ago, and... Um, I didn't go through with them because they didn't come until almost midnight. And I'm not a late person. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be midnight and completely dark as we know from, uh, the historical society, it doesn't have to be dark. And, um, so I didn't go through with them. I, didn't hear about any of the results they didn't really get back to us oh oh i'm Uh, sorry to hear about that yeah yeah it'd be interesting to have someone go through again now victor has been through this house before we started the ghost walk okay and he um sensed the man in the back room that my daughter and then i kind of believed her Uh um he didn't sense anyone on the third floor and he could feel the woman on the stairs. Um, okay. He thought she was German, but I I don't think. Um, of course, there is a lot of Germans in Southwest Ohio, but there are I'm trying to think of who that could even be. Hmm. It's an interesting. Were Irish, so it, it leaves them out. Okay. Huh. Yeah, that's an interesting detail, though. It just helps. Yeah. Just any information helps. Wow. Well, that's an interesting house that you have. I've- and I'm not afraid anymore. At first, I was terrified. But- yeah. What, what drew you? Did the house call to you? Sometimes when I talk to people who live in haunted houses, they say, the house called to me. I couldn't forget about it. And we put an offer in on it. Did it something? Did. Yeah. <laughs> it did. And at the time that we bought it, there were three of these mansions for sale. I mean, oh, wow. it was before the Renaissance really took off in this neighborhood. And um, one was uh, Heaven on 7th. I'm glad I didn't buy that house. And the other one was our next door neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. 
and this one, which was gutted. I mean, it really wasn't as nice as the other houses, mm. but it was this one that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, I think so, too. You're very calm. And it helps with everything around. Yeah. Heaven on seventh is way too active. Like just reading about it. I'm like, that is a very cool house. I would totally have my offices in there, but I'm the weirdo that could handle that amount of traffic. Yeah. I yeah. it was a bad experience for me. Oh. And so I don't I can't remember if I I think I put that in the book. I but. don't I don't remember you mentioning your experience, but just reading about um, the amount of in vortexes, basically. It, so heaven on seventh and um, the McKee Manor kind of yeah. go hand in hand because they're right. across the street from one another. And you seem to have a vortex in both. It's like an, a portal and the entrance is in one building. And the exits in the other, and they're crossing the intersection, which may be leading to all the accidents there. So well, that could be, yeah. Exactly. So they're spook. Oh my goodness! I can't tell you how many times I've been driving, and I thought like I hit a raccoon or a squirrel or something, and it was not a living raccoon or squirrel, and I almost cause accidents like stopping too fast or swerving or things. And I can imagine if you were driving down Dayton Lane or 7th Avenue um, and you see somebody out of the corner of your eye and get spooked. Who who knows? We do have a lot of accidents at that corner. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a time when practically every week there was a wreck at that corner. Oh, geez. So, yeah. I mean, that quite possibly, that's a bad spot. I wonder if somebody died there and never left and instead just shocks everyone who goes by it. I don't know. The, the, these are just all hypotheses I'm yeah. throwing out here. But Dayton Lane is a neat street. It's, a it's an actual street, but it's also kind of a neighborhood. But the street used to be known as Millionaire's Row. Yes. Right. Yeah. And all the houses are fantastic. I, I just, as a history buff, I'm just like, that is cool. And that is cool. And that is cool. And as I had mentioned before we started the show, I had been in the Schuler mansion for a ghost hunt when uh, it was still nigh optometry was right. still there. So, and that was a neat house because it's a uh, arts and crafts style, prairie style yeah, house. Craftsman. Craftsman. Yeah. And I love it because that craftsman in that era was really lots of circles and curves and the wood is fantastic in there. And it's beautiful. I and like that. They're mm -hmm. changing it to a single family and just Tom and Jennifer are going to live in that humongous mansion, just the two of them. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. The, what is it? The third floor is pretty active. I remember being very active when I was there mm -hmm. and we were having shadow activity, like shadow people walking around our group and it was freaking out people. And uh, yeah, yeah. Cause that, that's a, uh, that was a neat, it reminded me a lot of 
the Casper movie from the 90s. I don't know why. Just the activity. <laughs> Nothing. No one in that building is going to harm anyone. But boy, oh boy, do they love to stun and surprise the living as they're walking through the place. Especially like the third floor. And then there's the first floor. Not where the autometry office was, but it looked like kind of near the entrance area. There was like this little nook area. Right. And I remember going, hey, there's somebody here. I think it's a kid. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot of activity there, but it's warm, like right. family activity. It's not, not like Heaven on 7th where it's just chaotic strangers yeah. f- f- flying through. <laughs> well, I, they do fly through there. They do kind of fly through there. I think they have a demon there. I do. Oh, man. Well, I don't want to say when you get that much activity, it does tend to attract other entities. I'm not going to say a demon, but I'll I've run into Jin a lot. And Jin like to pretend they're demons, but they're really not. They're just like these trickster spirits that are elemental in origin. And they're just like, I'm so deep, dark, and scary. Look at me. I'm going to scare you. And then you're just like, no, you're a Jin. You're just this neutral entity that likes to spook people. So, Well, I know um, Victor always told me they can't hurt you because I was afraid when he first started going through our houses I, because I, it was an unknown to me. Mm-hmm. That they can't hurt you. But in Heaven on Seventh, they cut me. So I had oh. claw marks. Oh, bloody, that's scary. Bloody claw marks. And as did my husband, who the following year took a group for a ghost walk there. And he came home and he had those same marks on his arm. Yeah. Claw marks. Now, they did, you know. Did they hurt me? I don't know. They disappeared like before the day was out. They, I'm not, I haven't been in there, so I can't ever really say, but yeah, that's, that's still startling having that happen because we have so much in, in our society and culture, the mark of a three, especially in a haunted location does not have good associations. So I can see why you'd be scared and startled. But Victor is right. They really can't actually hurt you. What they like to do, if they're mean, is like to intimidate. And they do that by staring and to creepily talking and being like the big black shadow entities. They're like, I'm so big. I'm so scary. Like you have that at Waverly Hills. And you're like, you were human. You you may have been six foot three, sir, but you're not eight feet tall. And... <laughs> Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I go to a lot of haunted locations and talk to dead people. If you haven't caught on that yet, yeah. um, <laughs> but another location would be the other Benninghofen house, which is Christian Benninghofen. Right. Yeah, and he has another whimsical and wonderful mansion on Dayton Lane. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And- this is a single family again, isn't it? Well, no. No, I'm no, wrong. It's unfortunately. it's a, yeah, it's multi. It has a rental though. It's now. It used to be um, the Rennicks lived there on mm-hmm. the ground floor and part of the second floor, and then they rented out some apartments. And then they made one of the apartments an Airbnb, and now the entire house is Airbnb. 
Oh, wow. So yeah. what kind of chaotic energy does that bring to Dayton Lane? Just having new people there every weekend. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's positive. It's a very beautiful, positive house. And actually, uh, Christian and his family um, were lovely people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, actually, one of his descendants helped me um, when I was writing about uh, his house in the book. And she's a lovely person. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't imagine that there's, you know, anything negative going on there. It's a beautiful home. It's a beautiful Airbnb. And the spirits that are there are um, good people. So, yeah. Very warm family. Cozy, right. I would almost say. Right. So... For our listeners, we did a Benninghofen House episode a few weeks ago, talking about our ghost hunt, but also the history. So Christian is the son of Wilhelmina, and just blinked out, but Benninghofen Sr. Yes. <laughs> um, and this is his yeah. house that he built, thank you, John, um, with his wife, Anna, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now um, Wilhelmina is John Benninghofen's second wife. Yes. So I'm not sure if Christian. Oh, he may not have been her direct son. Right. She could have been a stepmom. That's correct. That's right. Um, but I'm not sure. I I didn't. Um, I didn't look that up when I was doing my research. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, exactly. I just learned in writing this book that uh, he had a wife in Germany that he left in Germany. Mm. I had no idea. So I learned a yeah. lot. Yeah. Research. Yeah. And then suddenly the community, like suddenly the history makes more sense and why things mm -hmm. are named the way they are. But Christian took the business over from his father, correct? That's right. Yeah. Right. And then and built this house. And how many kids did he have? Oh, you know, I think three, but there were servants that lived in the house as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, do you mean John or Christian? Christian. Yeah, I think he had three. I think he had, and I can't swear to this. I think he had two daughters for sure. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm looking up the, the chapter. That's... That's why. Um... Oh, yes. The Wild West comes to Hamilton. Is yeah. The chapter. And I liked this because as someone who um, whose mother is a fan of Annie Oakley. Oh. And, yes. And I grew up with Buffalo Bill and Annie Oakley. Re like not reruns, but my mom just would fangirl over all of that. She really loved the strength of Annie Oakley and how she was very take charge and everything. And the fact that there's a neighborhood Oakley in Cincinnati where Annie Oakley got her name and we have a huge mural painted to her. I, I liked the wild West comes to Hamilton because it really pulls those two very Cincinnati things together. And uh, with um, the ghosts that have been seen on the balcony here. I believe. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this story? Well, and uh, when I talked to the descendant, she says, oh, I don't think that's true. My mom doesn't remember anything about that. And she mm -hmm. lived in the house for a while. I think she would know. 
but um, you know, the, the rumor is uh, that there was a young girl whose bedroom was off that balcony. Mm-hmm. It was just a small bedroom. Um, and she would sit out there and as the uh, parade passed by, um, it would come down Dayton Street because the Wild West show was at the fairgrounds, which is at the end of Dayton Street. Mm-hmm. And the parade would go by the um, the Benninghoffen house. There was a young man who admired the young lady on the balcony and climbed up the side of the house up to the balcony to see her. Now, Victor told us that. Mm-hmm. Victor saw that happening. Um, mm. The Benninghofen that I work, that's not her last name, by the way, that I communicated with um, said, I think my mom would remember a story like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a pretty fantastic story. Yeah. It's very romantic. It is. It has a romantic element to it. Yeah. And the Wild West shows, uh, a couple of them for certain, um, came to Hamilton frequently, regularly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's possible. Did it really happen? I mean, I try not to present these stories um, as fact, mm-hmm. and I leave it up to the reader mm-hmm. to form their own opinions about what happened or didn't happen. It's just a lot of it lines up with the history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, Hamilton is such a big manufacturing center, especially earlier in the century and later right. 19th century. It'd be silly for these Wild West shows not to parade through and try to get as much uh, really marketing. <laughs> they were marketing tactics. Like, look who's here. We got Annie Oakley. We've got horses. Um, we yeah. got sharpshooters. And it wasn't just um, Wild Buffalo Bill. It was also um, Pawnee Bill. Right. right. Which I didn't know about until reading this book. I didn't realize there was competition. And and being a Parks and Recreation fan, I'm now wondering if that's where we got Pawnee, Indiana from that show. But that's a different I discussion. Know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it's a it's a beautiful house. Um, and it's said to be haunted as well, besides just these romantic balcony meetings. Oh, right. Um, one of the, and this was validated, um, the young woman that appears in the house um in the library there's uh the sensation of sadness and a woman in the library Mm -hmm. well one of the maids was electrocuted in the library oh wow so that kind of you know corroborates that yeah um and a friend of mine that lived in that house, she no longer does, of course. Um, mm-hmm. She moved out of the district, but she saw a young girl sitting in the seat on the landing, the window seat on the landing, in a, like a white dress and blue ribbons, I think she said. And 
um, dressed for a party. Mm -hmm. I'd have to go back and check to make sure I don't, I've got the colors right. Well, I found an article about um, Christian's daughter who had a birthday party <laughs> at the house and she had a blue lace dress and white ribbons, mm -hmm. just the opposite and mm -hmm. the, and long hair, um, just like my friend saw regularly sitting in the window seat there. Yeah. So, and she did die in the house. Um, can't remember her name off the top of my head. Right. Yeah. Benninghoffen's daughter. Right. Not your friend. Just, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, just clarifying for our listeners there. It's is just fine. That's good. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, when you were describing that, I was thinking of the very late Victorian, early Edwardian dresses that the girls would wear with the huge roughly collars. Mm -hmm. You have the ribbons, and then you have the drop waist, and then you have a frilly skirt. And they would always be wearing either tights or stockings or maybe really high socks. And then her hair being done in huge ringlets with ribbons that were satin. And I could just Im Im imagine her on that windowsill from the way you describe her in the book. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, well, and so that was their daughter, Elsa, I guess. It was Elsa. Um who had yeah. a birthday party and was dressed the way my friend described her. So so funny that the society papers over a hundred years later would help verify a ghost sighting. Oh, <laughs> Those nosy little society papers. I'll tell so. you, I, I read every line of text I could find on, on these people. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you learn a lot even by looking at a classified who then maybe gives you another name or mm -hmm. another idea about what happened in this house. Um, yeah. 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 I feel like a detective going through that. It's so much. I find that bit very fun. So like kind of reinforcing this idea just for our listeners. When I was writing about Writers Inn, which is in Painesville, Ohio. So right along Lake Erie. Um, it's a 1812 inn. It's a stagecoach stop originally. And one of the wives of the man who established a stop um, mysteriously caught on fire and died in the building. Oh, wow. And in the, since, not Cincinnati, but around the Cleveland and Painesville newspapers, you don't really hear, there was nothing really written. Their marriage was written about when they got married, but in, and all that information and you find like ads and stuff they put out, but not when Suzanne died. However, Suzanne's family was very wealthy from New York state and in their society papers, right when she died, they mentioned that the daughter of this man died by a fireplace accident. And that was Suzanne. Oh. And it was, so I had to go to New York state where her family was from to get the actual cause of death. It was a great detective hunt. I, It was fun, I guess. It, interesting, enthralling. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, I am investigating somebody's relative's death, which is 
mm-hmm. also not uh it takes a lot of the wind out of the sails you're like yeah, yeah. but it, it is a lot of sleuthing and those society papers and gossip columns went into a lot more detail than your traditional newspapers well that was into. big news yeah and not a lot of them are saved. Like you have the Butler County Historical Society. I can't vouch for them, but I'm sure they have a few copies around in their archives. But if you look at a lot of the larger digitized newspapers, the those types of newspapers or society papers were, have not been digitized. You have to go to historical societies to dig them up right. if they have them. So, I know um, the Historical Society has all of those old Hamilton papers back mm-hmm. to, I think she said early 1800s. Ooh, that's wonderful. Yeah. In the basement. And um, they have a reader down there and visitors mm-hmm. are welcome to, I always went to the Cummins room at the library, which is the place to go to find, you know, the history of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize they had them there as well. Yeah. They're they're just fun newspapers to go through. I remember um, finding out that there's been one, I, I can't really vouch, but I know of one tornado f- fatality in all of Cincinnati. It happened in 1908. It was a man who was riding a cart with his mule through Observatory Avenue in Hyde Park. And a strong, what is suspected to be like, an F zero F one tornado went through Hyde park tree fell and killed them. Wow. So that's my odd little history that I just got from reading this, not even a paragraph mentioned in, I think it was the Cincinnati post. Wow. Yeah. From 1908. Were you researching something? I was researching, I believe, um, if that was that, I think I was researching Imogene Remus and George Remus for the murder at Eden Park. Oh. And and just going into, I go very thorough into people's backstories, just mm-hmm. trying to piece together why, why this happened, who these people were, giving a better, not just a caricature of like a gangster and his wife from Chicago. It, it was, they were real people, they have real family, and... Um what made up their personality. So for our listeners, before I bring in uh, Jen and Christina, you can catch all these wonderful stories, plus many more. We, you go into this history of the prohibition era of Hamilton as well. And you touch on Ryan's Tavern, which I have been to as well. And uh, a lot more history. And it's all in haunted Hamilton, Ohio by haunted America. And it's shy O'Neill. So please, please find, pick up a copy. It's a wonderful book. I love loved reading it. So thank you. thank you. So Jen and Christina, would you like to join us? Shall I add you? Hey. Hi. Best way to do this for the is this well. Sorry, I'm playing around. We have StreamYard now, so we're like trying to figure out what looks the best. This is our second episode shy with StreamYard, so we're still we're still navigating. There we yeah, go. I think this might work best for a <laughs> round table. Um, Is it? Okay. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to see. I'm gonna have to see if we can download more options. That okay. is one thing we'll be doing when we're on hiatus: is figuring out more about Streamyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So, do you two have questions? I know, Jen, you're an aspiring writer. Not aspiring. I am. I just haven't published any novels. Okay. Thank you. You are a writer. (laughs) My degree is in creative writing, Shai. I and I tend to write uh, creepy vampire stuff that is very violent. So I need to kind of, um, I don't know, rethink my approach. I don't know if you need to. I, you know, I wouldn't. I I mean, I'm not. You know. But but I think that there is an audience for everything. I have a friend. There is. I, I have agree. a friend. I have a friend that has art in a new Hannibal art book, oh. and she is part of a, you know, Hannibal fan group. And these people love that show, and their yeah. Kickstarter raised like in the first couple of hours, like oh, wow. some crazy amount. So that, oh, that wow. I loved that show. I yeah, was really well, sad when it their, was you canceled. Join their fan, you should join their fan art group. Mm, but, um, okay. you know, what, one thing that I had, this was such an interesting interview, Shy. I, I, I think I would freak out if I saw some of the stuff you saw in your house yes. and your daughter being afraid to go into a room. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. intense stuff. Um, and um, Kat has me watching that show Ghosts. And I think if I saw a bunch no! of people in my house like that i mean i don't know how you would how you would handle that well i have to admit in the beginning i was afraid to be here and especially afraid to be here alone um but it's i'm comfortable with it now i mean well we've been here 26 years and wow um it's just part of my life i'm I lost that fear after the first few years. Um, and I don't honestly know if there's anything to this or not, but it seems like every October before, um, as we were preparing for ghost walk, it seemed like more and more things happened. Now, maybe I paid attention more. I don't know, but it seemed to be a lot more active and I could count on something happening uh in october before ghost walk so so did you just kind of ignore those experiences because of the fear like what what experience was the one in your house that made you go okay i i understand what this is now well um when i heard someone calling my name and i was Mm. the only one in the house okay that was creepy (laughs) Uh, yeah. So so spooky, and <laughs> the shadow that oh uh-huh. goes down the hallway on the, in the second floor uh-huh. um, when no one's home. So what do you do in those instances? Do you just freeze, or do you have a conversation with them? Or <laughs> no, I don't talk to them. I yeah, don't. okay. Um, and well, the first time someone passed by the bathroom I actually went out into the hallway because I thought it was my husband mm-hmm. um, to, but there was no one there and oh, wow. and I was the only one in the house so yeah. um, and you know so those were kind of spooky things yeah 
-hmm. And I think I just became accustomed to unexplainable things happening. I just took it in stride. Um, yeah. Now, often there's a really strong floral scent mm. in both of mm -hmm. the hallways, wow. the hallway upstairs and the hallway down here outside the office. Outside the office also is where the sobbing occurred. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> so you actually hear sobbing like yeah. more than once. Right. Wow. I mean, that's is incredible a, stuff. Is there a pattern to it? And honestly, it's not that it happens all that often. It's only been a couple of times for the sobbing. Mm -hmm. The very strong smell happens frequently. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm just not sure. what. I mean, it's almost, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Like uh, a lady's perfume. Oh, but really strong. Really strong. Okay. Wow. That's a pretty often reported uh, early haunting type of thing. Like, yeah, it's just the smell is such a powerful sense and you tend to get a lot of florals or cigarette smoke. Like when Christina and I were at Benninghoff and Senior's house, uh, we had unexplainable uh, pipe smoke. Hmm. Yeah, up in the second floor around where, um, is it, was it McLean? The first mayor of Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Um, where he, yeah, where he, where he is. I don't want to say lurks because that's not quite right, but, um, McBride. His, McBride, McBride, yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we got really, in a, it wafted into the room across the hall from there, too. And it started, I smelled it and then somebody else and then suddenly the entire group was smelling it and it was very clear pipe smoke, pipe tobacco mm. smoke. And people checked outside to make sure no one was outside immediately because, you know, it was people could be smoking outside. Uh, cigarette smell goes far, but no, we couldn't find anybody. Mm. Mm. One thing well, I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I, one thing that I was really interested in was you talking about having a spirit guide. Do you still, I mean, that could be, we should do an episode on them because I'm very I'm sure many people that listen would be curious to know how do you know you have one and how do you get one if you don't have one? Or do we all have them? We yeah, all have them. We all have spirit guides. Um, someone who's watching out for you that's assigned to you. And then we have other guides. I learned this in the spiritualist church. Um, like I said, I, I wouldn't have known that term at the time I asked the question with the homemade Ouija board, but, um, but we all have them and it's a matter of learning to meditate and opening yourself. They're probably, they're probably talking to me right now and I'm not <laughs> listening. Um, so you have to have the presence of mind and you can do that with meditation. Um, mm -hmm. It takes practice. And um, I wonder and if the idea of a muse is a, is a spirit guide talking to you. Could be. I, I mean, I know it comes from Greek, Greek mythology, but I just, it's kind of along the kind of 
same parallels, I guess. Yeah. I know when I um, do anything creative, I go into a zone. I go to a place. I'm not conscious even of what I'm doing. It just, mm -hmm. it's like I wake up and, oh, did I do that? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are like that or not, but. There, there is a word, isn't that called flow? I mean, that's like a yeah. flow. Yeah. Yeah, they, they talk about it in the Pixar movie Soul a little bit mm -hmm. that yeah. came out uh -huh. last year. Yeah, it's definitely when I'm writing, yep, you can get into a flow or into your zone and suddenly mm -hmm. eight hours have passed, you've eaten nothing and haven't left your attic room and your husband is knocking on the door wondering if you're alive. Yes. <laughs> I have not experienced that. I mean, I do get in a flow, but it, uh, I'm always very aware of what I'm doing. Like it, I don't get completely lost in it. Oh, I, hmm. I get lost in my writing. Yeah. And I, I don't know where it comes. I don't know where those words come from. It's just they end up on the paper. Um, yeah. You might be a conduit. Yeah. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Gilbert wrote about that. And she's done a bunch of TED Talks about muses and, and yeah. where people get ideas and stuff. And it's a really fascinating topic. Um, but like I said, I would love to do some sort of uh, show in the in season three about uh spirit guides because it seems yeah. like that's something a lot of people would like to know how to hear from i mean do people tend yeah. to ignore them when they aren't aware of them um cat you've yeah. mentioned that you have do you have a couple just one like do you know <laughs> sorry do you have like a core, I, is it like a there's greek a little, chorus there's just like a group i, I will say and no, it's like uh, a greek chorus it's like yeah. they sort of <laughs> yeah well, that's funny. It's always a party over here. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely there's one that I particularly use the most. And I gender him as he I have since I was a little kid. But really, they don't have gender. But um, yeah, they will help at different times in different ways. Mm -hmm. So um this is going to be the metaphysical moment with cat again. Um, so really spirit guides and a lot of people would know them really well as uh, guardian angels, that term. Um, they speak in very quiet tones in the back of your head, at least with me. So me, um, one of them likes to remind me, like basically keep watch of the brood of dogs and the toddler that I have in my house and the antics they get into. So I may be doing something mundane like making lunch or washing dishes, but I happen to be out of eyeshot of them. And I will get this little voice go, you should really go check on Yeti. He's up to <laughs> something. And I'll go, okay, I will go check on Yeti and see if he's up to something. And sure enough, Every single time that dog is up to something or it could be my son or it could be one of the other dogs or, hey, maybe a bird has just run into the house and its body is sitting in the driveway and you have to move it. But stuff like that. And uh, or you'll get ideas like, hey, maybe you can do this to this character in your manuscript and then you can start working from that. It's very quiet. It's not frequent. Um, except for the warnings. And I find that like 
hey, Yeti's eating a yarn ball. Maybe you <laughs> should do something about that. Um, I find if I ignore it, though, if I if I get very human and hubrisy and go, ah, oh, no, it's okay, it's fine. Um, bad things happen. Like Yeti eats a rope toy, like he did yesterday, Aww. and I could have prevented it. But I didn't. And uh, then you're on rope toy watch to make sure his intestines don't get tied up. Ooh. Wow, yeah. That so, stressful. yeah. So, the, the, with the spirit guides, yeah, they're always talking to you. But, yeah, meditation helps clearing your mind. Calming down helps a lot to be mm. able to hear them. And it, it will be these never negative, I will say. I know I just used a double negative. But the thoughts should never be negative that pop into your head. The guardian spirits, um, guardian angels, um, spirit guides are never negative. They're always uplifting. Or they're telling you of something's going to happen. Like, hmm. Yeti's eating a yarn ball. Maybe you should do something about it. That kind of thing. Um, if they're ever telling you that you're not good. You should just jump off a bridge. You should end oh, it all or something like that. They're oh, very that's your intrusive. Dumb brain. It's, it's your brain and go talk to somebody about that. That's not a spirit guide. It also isn't a demon. So just go, go seek help. Um, For me, it was depression. <laughs> yes. Depression, anxiety. Like I have anxiety. So um, spirit guide works overtime a lot but uh yeah there's a lot of affirmation that way so spirit guides are always positive and they help out i if could you guess ask. i could i could see that that could be like where you get your ideas and stuff because they really yeah. do just kind of pop into your head yeah. and i probably get too many that pop into my head i don't know okay. troy troy has always said he thought that i had you know people have an angel and devil on their shoulder yeah. troy always says that i have two devils on one on each shoulder egging me on saying yeah. do it do it <laughs> yeah you may want to agree with that down a little bit and be like it's great getting all this information maybe not at one time <laughs> so i have a writer's questions uh for cat and shy um i know when i write i can often see it the scene visually mm -hmm. um I, well in my head not like out in front of me but do you guys have that kind of same experience like if i can see it and I mainly write fiction. So if I see it, then I, it, that helps me get into the flow of it. And then sometimes it, all of a sudden, two, three, five pages are done. And yeah. yeah. I don't know if I would say that I see it. I've become a character in the story. I mean, I become gotcha. part of the story and I'm living it when I'm wow. writing. Wow. Okay. That's uh -huh. cool. Yeah, that is a really neat way of interpreting the yeah the yeah. narrative. Yeah, I find when I write characters, they kind of do write themselves. They kind of yeah, kind of, like like even with my web comic, like the characters assert mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I don't always predict who's going to be in the comic. It's like somebody steps forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, huh. yeah. I'm like you, Jen. I will see a scene, mm -hmm. and I kind of write down the scene, illustrate who's in it, mm -hmm. and then pin it. And my job is to connect these different scenes together in an interesting overall arching narrative. 
And yeah. the characters develop on their own through these mm-hmm. scenes, basically. And they okay. drive the scenes. So um, there's I think some- I might need to take a spiritual list class. Because I always have always felt like I've had a block, even when mm-hmm. I am creating things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't meditate, and I'm a little scared to like open myself up to those things. But I think it might might help with. Oh, totally. I like art. Yeah, yeah. Get that flow moving, Jen. Yeah, you need, you need you need the flow. We need I to hug you. Yeah, I just, I mean, well, I finally decided to start looking at houses seriously because one of the neighborhood kids, again, was banging on my garage door. So I'm fed oh. up. So I'm going to be concentrating a lot on that and packing the house and stuff like that, which I don't want to do. I'd much rather do fun, creative things. But Well, here there's a house that you can rent on Dayton Street that is rather Dayton? large. Dayton Street, Dayton Lane mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Mm. The place that we've been talking about. Oh, for the- oh okay, okay, okay. I, I, I don't know if I, I want to live with a ghost, though. <laughs> <laughs> that might be exciting, but you want to buy a house, although yeah, I, I mean, do, mm-hmm, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I just mean, I, I'm open to whatever. I just want to be left well, alone. Well, you know, and sometimes be quiet. <laughs> Sometimes creativity can happen when you're doing mundane things. I mean, one thing that a lot of writers do, and I don't know if Shy does this, some actually will record stuff. Like, I mean, all phones now even have a recording device. And so when you think of cool ideas, just record them. And Mm -hmm. like some um, even have transcribing software. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so that you can use that later to, um, you know, like when an idea, because often like I know so many people that get really great ideas in the shower. There's yeah. something about that running water and, and that sort of thing or sleeping on it is a great way to right. get ideas. Yeah. I find like I find when I get really tired, I will always stop working and just go to sleep because mm-hmm. especially if something's not working out because you're not going to work it out when you're that tired and no, your brain uh-uh. will actually keep working on it. So when you work on it, when you're fresh, it will actually start to work because your brain yeah. has worked it out for you while you rest. And so yeah. always listen to your mind and body when you're mm-hmm. coming up with stuff that's creative. Yeah. Um, that's why I keep posted notes in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. And I will say my ideas come from listening to music while driving Oh, really? interesting. Yeah. So mine you know, come when I'm bored and fed up with work. Like when I was w- working at Amazon, I was really pissed off that I had to be there because of my own stupid actions. <laughs> but I. That sounds like a story. But I, like story. while there and like tossing the packages where they needed to go, I, the whole time I was thinking about a story. Of course, it's mm-hmm. still in the head and I haven't written any of it, but yeah. So yeah, I-, I guess that's the mundane. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> uh, you, you talked about your book that you wrote before Haunted Hamilton, Ohio. Can you talk a little bit about that? That one is fiction though, based on history. It's fiction based on real stories real stories, real things. Mm -hmm. So um, it covers two time periods. Um, The current, when um, based on the things that happened to us in this house and the research that I did, and then it 
uh, introduces you to the 1880s, early 1890s, as it goes through Aaron's story mm -hmm. and the Campbell family uh, story, which is, oh my goodness, I mean, it's just a lot of scandalous. It was very dramatic reading about it from the haunted Hamilton, Ohio. Um, a lot of a lot of the things that happen in the novel came from actual newspaper accounts um, wow. in the 19th century. And um, so it kind of goes back and forth and it relates the research that I'm currently doing to, and then it'll go back and it'll explain historically um, what was behind uh, the research that I presented in the current period. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's about relationships in this family. It's about, um, I, there's, it's very descriptive. So uh, my style is not a narrative style, but it's descriptive and placing you in the time and place when it goes back to the historical part of it. So it talks about um, early in the family, it kind of stems around Fanny's suicide and goes back and forth um, describing the relationships between the brothers and sisters and mm -hmm. um, talks about how um, Aaron went from the richest person in the county to the poorest person in the county. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love it because I felt like I was a part of that story mm -hmm. and part of that Campbell family. Mm -hmm. um, so it talks about there were early, all the women died early deaths. Mm. And um, one of the, one of the sisters, uh, Lelia, um, was uh, in the story. And some of this I embellished. I don't have, you know, anything telling me it happened this way, but um she was um, a little bit wild and had many um, sexual encounters. And uh, in the story, she um, dies from um, an opium. She goes to an opium den in Dayton and dies from an overdose there. Doesn't get along with father, brother, any of her siblings. Um, they kind of disown her. And um, one of the, and she died at a young age, and and she really did. And one of the other sisters that sued Aaron for his money um, was married to a congressman, and lived across the street from where I live, by the way, and. Um, she died in early death. Mm -hmm. Her husband died in early death. Um, 
And of course, Fanny uh, killed herself and it kind of all revolves around Fanny. And um, so, I mean, it's just, the story is about that family relationship and yeah. how um, the brothers and sisters or the nephew and the sisters sued um, the brothers for all the money and land and but they all ended up poor because they either died early or they lost their money so it's just it's a family story but it's kind of um scandalous and wow i enjoyed it because i enjoyed writing about the period mostly so the historical part of the book was the most fun to write and the other is just based on things that happened to us in this house and researching it because of uh, victor's findings you know that makes Talk you want to read it yeah well I'll, I'll be honest with you I, it was a labor of love for me i just wanted to get it down on paper because um I didn't want to forget it. I was never going to publish it. People pushed me to publish it. And those that have read it said, this needs to be a movie. I'm not making that up. And as well, I wouldn't even know how to go about that. But, wow. That sounds yeah. cool. Well, um, is it self-published or do you have a publisher? No, it's self-published. Okay. Well, to go about making it a movie, first you need a publicist and then you need a book manager. So that those are the first steps. But while reading that part of the um, the history, it sounds like something that would be Downton Abbey, for instance. Yeah, it does. It, it sounded just like Edwardian Ohio mm -hmm. Downton Abbey. So lots of intrigue, lots of fortunes lost and gained. Yeah. Families suing each other. It. it and then uh, wasn't was it Fanny that was married to the uh, vaudeville manager? Yes, yeah, yeah. And just that on its own is really interesting, and how her life ended up was really sad. So, but I also think one reason why you're so comfortable with the house now is you very much have become part of the Campbell family. You're yeah. part of the dynasty now of this house. Wow, that's cool. I kind of feel that way too. Mm-hmm. Shy, I mean, what are you writing now? Well, um, I'm working on a book about the Volstead Act and Prohibition. Oh, um, wow. That's a good Hamilton. one. Yeah. Um, and it's based on a couple of, it's based on three brothers, actually, that live down the street. Okay. Uh, on street. Okay. And, uh, and there's a lot of really interesting stories that revolve around that. Is this fiction or nonfiction? It's going to be fiction. I would okay. much rather write fiction. There's a I lot can. more fun you can have with fiction. <laughs> it is. It's less stressful yeah. because I don't have to worry about being correct about everything. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to say, well, that didn't really happen. Right. You know? Um, so, and I can really, I love a good story and I can really 
get into living this story if I write fiction. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's yeah. Well, Jen, do you have any questions? Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. No. Okay. Um, I kind of want to invite myself over and ask if I could spend the night, but that's rude. <laughs> so I'm not gonna, but yeah, I'm, I am going to get your books and I would like to read them. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I, Cause I enjoy them. I honestly, I enjoy Millionaire's Row, Aaron's Descent, far more than Haunted Hamilton, although I've gotten so many compliments and on Haunted Hamilton that um, I guess it's better than I thought it was. You know? <laughs> and Haunted Hamilton is nonfiction. It's nonfiction. It's all yeah. true. Yeah. And I couldn't, uh, I really don't have proof of anything. I only have corroborating history. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But so, all ghost books would be like that. I mean, we've had a couple yeah. different authors that have written books about ghosts. And, you know, a lot of that is um, what's uh, your, your kind of, it's circumstantial evidence that you're looking right. at and you're trying to put stories together. But that being said, I mean, a lot of times there's a lot of compelling stories and people feel a lot of the same things. So, I mean, mm -hmm. Hamilton seems like it was a very interesting area, um, partially because of the, um, you know, prohibition, uh, thing where there was a lot of crime wasn't there in Hamilton I think Kat was talking oh, yeah. about that that uh there was a lot of running of booze through Hamilton and that there was a lot of didn't you you said it had something to do with the mob the mob and they took their thing to Las Vegas afterwards that was another episode oh you yeah talked about that with Remus I believe was it Remus? Yeah, sorry yeah. sorry about that interruption uh <laughs> My son decided to walk into the room. Um, <laughs> it's past his bedtime, so <laughs> anyway, um, I had to put him back to bed. Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry I missed whatever you were saying, but yes, there were. Um, you had the bootleggers going through Hamilton, Ohio. It was um, some of George Remus's whiskey distilleries were around this area up to Fairfield along the Indiana border. And then he also had Don John Dillinger had a, a hideout here. Um, right. So, yeah, on 4th Street. So, And I also have a puppy below me eating my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think that, um, you know, this has been a really, I mean, I really inter uh, enjoyed your interview, Shai. It was very interesting stuff. It, it makes me want to learn more about Hamilton and go up there more and check it out. You know, it's, yeah. it's so close, yet I feel like it's something, I've only been to the downtown area like two or three times in all the time I've been here. And it just sounds so fascinating, the uh, history and you know the hauntings and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think I definitely will be doing more tours of that area. Good. Um, and uh, I guess do you want to tell us your socials? Where can we find you if we want to see your future writing and that sort of thing? Well, um, right now I only have a Facebook presence, mainly because I haven't learned how to put this up on Instagram, but. Yet, my son promised to help me and Aww, hasn't uh -huh. helped me yet. Um, 
So it's Shy O'Neill-Author on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of you actually started following me. Maybe it was yeah, yeah, it was me. Was it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and also, thank you for following the Cabinet of Curiosities group. Oh, yeah. I had to. I had to. Um, and that's all I have right now. Uh, but I'm working on it. Um, I just need, and you know what? I'm a retired IT executive, but all of this has happened since I retired. So, um, you know, all these social platforms Mm -hmm. weren't really around. You're you're better off not being on them. It's a huge time suck. It's a full-time job trying to promote yourself on those things. Oh, it really is. Oh yeah. (laughs) My goodness. Yes. We've just been through that's why we're taking a couple of weeks off. We've just been through the social media tornado. Yes. All a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's it's helpful though to sell your own books because, and yes. you, if you're writers, you know this. The royalties, um, you're not going to get rich off those royalties no. unless you have a bestseller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but if you can sell your own books and especially if you can um, self publish and sell your own books, um, you know, it's just, you end up making a little bit more, you're still not going to get rich, but um, so it helps to sell them if you have a social presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And this is a unique time where I think that the individual creator is empowered more than they ever have been before because right. so many of the traditional ways to get writing from people, uh, all the gatekeepers are kind of gradually falling away because mm-hmm. just just by by the way things are restructuring. So it's kind of cool. It's, a, it's an interesting time to be a creator, an exciting time. Right. Yeah, which is why we... What convinced me is when Stephen King started self-publishing yes well must be okay for me yeah when did he start doing that i'm kind of out of the loop on the world a long time ago (laughs) oh probably maybe 10 years ago he started self-publishing well i think a lot of people are now you can directly reach your you know the people that are your fan base in in a way that you could not before and so that's been a game changer yeah and you know, that's one reason that Kat and I started a publishing company. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. When but. you control your own destiny. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I honestly, I write for pleasure. Mm-hmm. And if, if it sells, great. If it doesn't sell, I already got my enjoyment out of the project. So... Mm-hmm. Um, there's it's something more. to be said for creating something for you as opposed yeah. to there's so many people that when they try to create something that they, they want to think of it as, as sort of like, how can I monetize this? Right. And I think there's something so wonderful about doing creation just for you. Right. Well, that's what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It becomes a job otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And plus your readers can tell when you're enjoying the process versus if you're just trying to hit certain benchmarks to be popular. So it's, it telegraphs really clearly to readers. And on that note, um, you know, we hope that many writers and artists will 
you know, send us their stories for the next issue of Cabinet of Curiosities. Exactly. We're really looking forward to people submitting. Kat, can't wait to read your submissions. Mm -hmm. And it's a very exciting time. So if you're a creator listening to this, why not submit when she gets the dossier up in January? We really want to see your stories. And we also want to hear your haunting stories. Yes. Um, I know it's kind of, I mean, Shy, you've raised the bar here as far as personal <laughs> haunting stories. Oh, my gosh. But if you grew up in a haunted house or if you've had some sort of paranormal experience or if you've seen a UFO or, you know, I saw a rocket in the air a week ago. Uh, yeah. And I asked about it on Facebook and it was like, it was obviously something being shot in the air, but it was a couple hours before the SpaceX thing. Hmm. And some other people said they saw it. It was like in the Eastern sky. Hmm. So if you've seen something weird or had an experience, uh, email us. It's hometown haunts. No hometown, hometown haunted mail at gmail.com. Yes. It's in the show notes. Um, we hope everybody writes us over the hiatus and we'll, replenish our haunts uh, stores to read for the next episodes so so on that yeah. note thank you everyone for joining us with this season of the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities the hometown haunts podcast you can send us your hometown haunt at hometown haunted mail at gmail.com and also you can keep up with us on social media at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and join our Facebook group. And don't forget to join Shy's while you're there. So, yeah, he's just discovered he can see himself. <laughs> have a great right. holiday, everyone. Have a great holiday, Thank everyone. You. We'll see Happy you in holidays. 2022. Bye. 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 <laughs>